Good evening. It is good to be back with you tonight. If you have your Bibles, if you would be opening up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 is uh, where the majority of our text is going to come this evening as we're making our way uh, through this, what I think is just an inspirational and a challenging uh, letter that Peter has, has written here. And I hope that you felt the same way about it. Before we get back into the text, I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to be thinking about wh- about where we're going from from here. Uh, once we finish First Peter, I would like for us uh, to have uh, some opportunities to answer some of your questions, uh, whether that be in a Q and A sort of format or in a panel format. I'm working on some of those things right now, but ultimately, I want to know what you what you have questions about, and they can be uh, they can be tri- trivial things. Uh, someone gave me a question this last week about uh, salting babies, and let me just tell you, I didn't have a clue uh, what in the world that was about, but I learned something. Uh, if you don't know, you can spend some time looking that up yourself. It may be something a little bit, uh, a little bit more theological and a little bit deeper. Uh, might take more than just a 30-second answer. That, that's okay, too. Uh, but uh, if you have those things, I want to encourage you to text those things to me. You can email me. You can write it on a piece of paper and give it to me, uh, however you, you'd like to do that. But uh, we are making some progress towards those things once we finish First Peter. The reality is that this this letter is being written and and we're studying this letter in many ways because the Christian life can be hard. Uh, in particular, longevity in the Christian life can be hard. Uh, there are moments where where we are uh, spiritual giants. There are moments when we can stand against the world. We can stand against whatever the world would throw against us. We, you know, I said this morning, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Um, there have probably been times when everyone in this room tonight has very boldly, even if you haven't used those words, you've thought them. Uh, we are not going to lose our faith over this. The challenge becomes keeping that mentality day after day, after week, after week, after month, after month, after year, after trial, after tribulation, after over time right? It's having longevity in those things. Uh, I wish it weren't the case, but when I think about some of the people that have been spiritual giants in and amongst many of the congregations that I've been a part of throughout my life, in far too many of those cases, there are people who used to be spiritual giants, but they've been defeated. They've given up their faith. They've walked away from their faith. That's why we have admonition in the Scripture over and over to not grow weary. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9, Paul writes to the church and he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Why does he say that? Because sometimes doing good, it can wear you out. It can wear out your faith. Paul says it again in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, in verse 13. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. I think anytime we see something in the, in the Bible, it's worthy of our attention. But when we see it multiple times, we, we ought to especially pay attention. 
Do not grow weary, church, brothers, sisters, in spite of the fact that there are many things that can wear upon your faith. You see, what happens in far too many lives is the trials and tribulations come. We know they're going to come because the Bible says they're going to come. We also know they're going to come because we've lived over 30 minutes, right? There's always going to be those things. But unfortunately, what happens at times when those trials and those tribulations come, it is as if in people's lives they say, you know what? I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of always doing what's right. I'm tired, I'm tired of always saying the right thing, being the right thing. Uh, I'm going to worry about what I want. I, I'm going I'm to get mine, if, if you will. Now, we all know that's a terrible attitude to have, right? If you don't, then you should. That's a terrible attitude to have. I'm just saying that it happens a lot because people get worn out. Well, that brings us back to this letter that Peter writes to, to, to the church, to the church that's dealing with suffering. And I think that's important for us to continue to remember that as we look at this entire letter. This is a letter that's all about Christian suffering. How do we respond when we face trials and tribulation and suffering in our life in spite of our faith? Or maybe even because of our faith. How do we respond? How does that impact us? Not to suffer as, not to suffer as an evildoer. That, that, that's something completely different, right? Um, you know, you rob a bank, you're going to reap what you sow. That, that, that's not even what we're talking about. We're talking about this idea that I'm striving with every fiber of my being to serve the Lord, and bad things still keep happening in my life. Or maybe... Maybe I'm striving with every fiber of my being to serve the Lord, and there is a direct correlation between my attempt at godliness and the attacks of the devil in my life. It is a tiring existence. And so Peter writes, encouraging the church to not give up, to not lose heart, and to look to the example of Christ himself the one who knew no sin, but yet became sin. The one who, when he was reviled because of his righteousness, did not revile in return. He says, church, you're called to follow his example. Not just in your godliness, but to follow his example in righteous suffering. That's the context that we've seen all throughout this letter, and that will continue. Therefore, he says, therefore, he says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Sometimes do we need to be reminded that Christ suffered for us? When we think about Jesus and we think about following Jesus, there are many times... When I think in our, in our world, and sometimes even in our religious world, where, where we, we have this idea of, I don't know that I have the right words to say this, but, a, but a, very, a very soft and genteel Jesus. 
but it doesn't really reflect the Scriptures. He was the suffering servant. He, he was the one that people tried to kill. He was the one that people mocked. He was the one that people spat upon. He was the one that was crucified for his faith. So we need to remember that. Because I'm striving to be his disciple. It's, it's reminiscent of when Paul came and said he wanted, he wanted uh, Timothy to go, to go along with him on, on, to be on, on one of his missionary preachers. And you remember the last time he was there, the people stoned him and left him for dead. I want you to come do what I do. I don't know, I don't know that I want to, I want, I'm wanting that preaching job, right? It's the same thing with Christ. We should not think that we are above our master. And so we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded that Christ suffered for us in the flesh. So arm yourself with the same mind, the mind of Christ. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he should, that he should no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And so he says to us, whenever we come face to face with those things that try our faith, we all have those things, everybody, everybody, Santiago, you got something, tried your faith, right? Jeff, you got something, tried your faith, right? Donna, something, they, 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 and they just keep coming. What those things, whatever you're thinking in your mind right now, what those things ought to do is to focus us in, in this life, to no longer live the rest of our time in the flesh for the lust of men, which is that fleshly war we talked about this morning, right? There's that appeal to make this all about me. No, they ought to be reminders. They ought to be reminders that what we're really here for is something greater than the things of this world. What we're really here for is the will of God. And as a church, we have to understand that or our faith will be weak. We will not sustain in our faith. If we think that we're here for God to lavish things upon us and, and, to, and to make our life easy, then what's going to happen when our life is not easy? We will break. And we will many times accuse God of breaking His end of the deal. And He's, and he's saying, I never promised you these things. You just assume these things. I told you the exact opposite of these things. My mission in this world, wherever it may lead me, and hasn't this last year taught us that this world can lead us to some places that we don't expect? Wherever it may lead me, wh whether, it is, whether it is a time and a place of great blessing or it is a time and a place of great trial and tribulation, my mission in this life is to live for the will of God. If I will understand that, then my faith will be strong. I'm here to live for God. For we have, spent, we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. We spent enough of our time doing that. We say, well, what about this and what about that and all these things, all these fleshly things, those things that war within our souls. Once again, there's that tie-in from, from James 4, not Philippians 4. I don't know whoever thought that. But, but th 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 this idea of, of how these things war in our mind, we've had enough of that. See, see, the truth is, sometimes 
Sometimes people think that Christians don't know anything about sin. And I know that's not true. We know all about sin. We're not proud of it. We don't want to wallow in it. We don't want to embrace it. But everyone in here understands and knows something about sin. Because every one of us have been victims of it. And victim may, may not be the best word. We, we have been uh, active participants in a lifestyle that was not about God. It was about ourself. Those things that we would like to forget in our life. That's not new. God's people have always been that way, right? You, 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 read, you read throughout the Old Testament, which is all, it's all these amazing character sketches, but one of the great proofs of the inspiration of the Bible, that it's not just a, a fairy tale, is, is that we don't just have a pie-in-the-sky view of who the heroes of the faith are. We, they are presented with all of their warts, right? You're talking about people that understand what it means to be drunk, who understands what it means to commit adultery, who understands what it means to injure other people. This room is no different. And we would do well. We, we would do well to not act like it is different. We know about those things. But we have been redeemed from those things. That's the difference. That, that's that old man of sin that, that that the blood of jesus was shed so that we might not only be forgiven of those things but romans 6 but romans 6 says so that we might actually arise to a newness of life so that we might come up out of that watery grave to actually live for christ to begin to hate sin he says all this fleshly living We've had enough of that. Those things that we're ashamed of, those things that we don't enjoy talking about, we, that, that, that's the old man. That's how I used to live. I can't change it. I wish I could at times, but I have to move on from it. I, I have to put those things behind me and to move forward in Christ. Let's give some examples. In particular, he's going to talk about a pagan context here. When you see a pagan context... Um, there are certain things that come into our minds, but ultimately, it's just a context that doesn't take God into consideration. It doesn't take the, the, the revelation of, of, of the one and true and living God into consideration. I, I don't think that we have an altar to Baal anywhere in the city of Valdosta, but we got a lot of people that are living as if God does not exist. Is, is, that, is that a fair statement? Of course it is. That's not just an indictment about us, so that's an indictment of the world. What does it look like? Well, when we walked in lewdness and lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries, over and over in, in, the, in the Scriptures, we have these sections where there are lists that are given of the old man, right? First Corinthians 6. He gives that list, don't, don't be deceived, those who do these things shall not inherit the, king, the, the kingdom of heaven, right? But, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were cleansed, you were justified, right? Um, even, even here in 1 Peter, uh, just in, the, in chapter 2, putting aside all malice and guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The, 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 those are things that, I understand why people do those things, but that's not who I want to be. 
I want to look like Christ. I don't want to compromise in those things. He, he starts off with this idea, those who have walked in, in lewdness. Um, interestingly enough, th- there are lots of different translations that do a lot of different things with this word. Uh, in, some of, in some of your Bibles, uh, th- this is translated as uh, sensuality. I think that's what the New American Standard says. Um, debauchery. Uh, lasciviousness. I think that's what the, the King James Version says. Ultimately, living with no regard for moral constraint, this sexual component of I go forth exploring, exploring the, the, the sexual element throughout my life. Several different places that we, that we see this used. In Romans, let's just look at a couple of them. In Romans 13, in Romans 13, in verse 13, we, we have the, the same the same language used. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. That, that idea of just living a very hyper-sexualized sort of life, sensuality, more and more, is that not descriptive of our world? Isn't it? I mean, it's just in your face everywhere that, that, that you look. Uh, in, Galatians, in Galatians chapter 6, where he's talking about uh, the deeds of the flesh. Galatians chapter 6, now the deeds of the flesh, they are evident. Um, I shouldn't have to really tell you this. I mean, if you see it, it's pretty obvious these aren't godly things, what he's saying there. They're evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 19 he says, and having become callous, they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Um, over in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 7, uh, he's actually going to use this word to describe the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> Some people have, have these crazy ideas um, where they try to say that that the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah had nothing to do with sexuality. Um, it had, they will say it had to do with uh, you not being a friendly neighbor. Which uh, They did have some issues with the way they treated their neighbors, but I'm going to tell us that uh, words like this are very clear, that when we talk about sodomy, uh, it has more to, it's, it's about more than just not being friendly to your neighbor. Uh, and the Bible's pretty clear about that, right? This is the same word that, 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 that's used there, this idea of lasciviousness. Uh, probably the first time I ever heard this word in the Bible, I was in high school. And uh, this, was, this was the word that was used uh, to describe what, what happens at, at a lot of um, high school dance activities. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this idea that, that there's this event and there is a hyper-sexualized event. I think that's fairly true in, in, in many cases, right? Uh, whether, wh- whether you're talking about uh, from the, the ways that people dress or the things that people do um, in, in those places, I'm not going to unpack all that tonight, but, but that's part of what we see here. We see this uh, uh, in, in a lot of the, the, the party scene and things of that nature. That's what he's talking about. Who does that sort of thing? Well, people that just, you know, aren't overly concerned about making that profession of godliness. That's a lascivious lifestyle. He talks about lusts or passions. 
Once again, th- that goes back to that war that we talked about this morning, right? Just w- whatever feels good to me. That, that, that fleshly behavior or that fleshly desire, which if it is not checked by the Word and the will of God, leads to sinful behavior. He says, that, he talks about drunkenness. The, the, this is, I mean, you, you would think that this wouldn't be controversial, but sometimes, uh, sometimes people even struggle with this idea of what drunkenness is. And, and we, we've actually had quite a few conversations about this, but, but this idea, I find this interesting in our world today, uh, we're seeing pushback. We're seeing pushback to try and help people understand, no, these things that are impairing your ability to reason, these things that are impairing your ability to make rational thoughts and to be of sober-mindedness, th- that's what he's talking about here. You, you don't have to be passed out to be drunk is what I'm trying to say. Right? That, that it's, uh, the, there are billboards uh, that we will see. Uh, buzzed driving is drunk driving. Right? And, and it, 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 the Bible isn't teaching the idea that if you take one drink of anything with alcohol, you're drunk. It's not teaching that. But, but to understand, when those things begin to impair you mentally, that's what he's talking about. These things that create all sorts of terrible decisions. Paul would talk about these things when he encourages us not to be drunk with wine, but to be drunk with the Spirit, right? He's saying, don't be that person who loses control. Be that person who loses control based upon the Spirit of God. Revelries or carousing, just that that party scene, Uh, drinking parties, this is the only place in the Bible that we have th- this sort of word used, but, but this idea of, of th- that's used in quite a few non-biblical uh, cases where basically it's used to describe banquets or parties where alcoholic drinks are in great supply. I- I've always looked at this as, as if, um, as you're trying to make some de- definitions about what, what these things are, uh, are you going to a place where the, pre- where the absence of alcohol would be noticeable? Right? I mean, alcohol is everywhere in our world today um, with great unfortunate consequences throughout our world today. But, I mean, I think they're actually serving alcohol at Cracker Barrel now. Right? That, that's, yeah, I know that's the same look I had when I, when I read that. Yeah, it, it, that, that's the world that we live in. But, but would people say, well, I'm not going to go to this place or be in this place if alcohol is not going to be there? Well, then if that's the case, that's what it's talking about there. Do those around you, uh, you know, just say, well, well, you know, I'm, if they're not going to have these things, then I'm not going to come out. Um, I've, I've, been to, I've been to a few different uh, sort of parties where, listen, if there hadn't been alcohol there, people would have said, where's, where's the booze at? Where's the alcohol at? Well, when you're in that sort of a situation, I'm not talking about sitting in my booth at Applebee's. I'm talking about the, the, these grand, and a lot of things, these focus around social events. Those are not places that Christians ought to be or need to be. That's what he's talking about there. And we might also ask ourselves as we try to be separate from the world, if those others who are there have the same intention as we do. Does that make sense, what, what, what I'm trying to say? If, I mean, where I can say, well, I'm not participating in these things, but would my friends or the people, the other people, would they be shocked to know that I have any issue with what they're trying to do when they're trying to have a good time? That's what he's talking about here. He says, those are things that ultimately, hey, we just don't do those things. 
Why? Because we're Christians. Why do people do those things? Because of the flesh? Because of the, because of the idea that they will pay off? You've seen people, I've seen people, who have remained pure and true and faithful right up until they don't. Right up until they say, you know what, I, I've, just, I've just resisted the ways of the world far too long. Don't fall into that trap. That's what he's saying here. Okay, that's the reason he's bringing these things up, because these are things that happen. And the reality is, uh, you could probably put some names to these things. Now, if you want to live that life, here's the, here's the challenge. In, the, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them into, into the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. So when we talk about persecution, it can be anything. We, 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 could talk about, we could talk about the idea of persecution being anything from crucifixion to uh, religious persecution and uh, not, you know, not being able to assemble together. We thank God for that all the time, that, that, we, that we worship without fear of persecution. All the way down to, and we almost belittle this at times, to, to people speaking ill of us. But we would be careful to not speak ill of that as if it is of no effect. Because those things are a challenge to us. And I can say all day long, well, I don't care about what people say. Oh, well, most of us do. Most people do. Matter of fact, most of the people that I have heard say they don't care probably care more than others care if they really wanted to be honest with themselves. A whole different story for another time. But he says you put yourself in these situations where people will look at you and they, they will malign you. They will speak evil of you because you don't do what they do. Well, do you think that you're better than us? You, you, I mean, you, anyone ever found yourself in, in, that, in, that sort of, in that sort of situation? I was talking with someone here recently, and uh, they were talking about their athletic career, and they had a really successful athletic career. But they said, listen, th- th- there, were, there were things that they never got to enjoy. They never got to enjoy a- as, as you would think they would in their athletic career because they wouldn't go out and party with the boys after the game. And it kept them from certain honors, and it kept them from certain situations because they were a Christian. And they were clear about that. They were okay with that. But don't think it was easy. And don't think there have not been far, far more young men who have thought they were going to remain faithful in spite of, of, the, of, of these temptations who have eventually compromised. That's the reality of the world that we live in. So, so that's the reason Peter is, is speaking of that. Listen, he's saying to the church, I know that's the reality. And I know those things hurt. I don't like to be belittled, uh, even when it's by my enemy, right? It, hurt, it hurts even worse to be belittled by your brethren. That's a whole other sermon. But, but to be belittled by your enemy, even that is, can be overwhelming. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. He says, you, you leave that to God. You leave that to God. Paul would say in Romans that we are to leave room for the wrath of God. See, the truth is that the judgment day is coming. And that doesn't mean that we ought to root for people to get what they have coming to them because um, none of us want to get what we have coming to us. But 
but it is to say that I, I don't have to worry about these things. God is in control of these things. God will punish those things and even bring those things, even bring those things to light. It is for this reason that the gospel was preached. I want you to understand the distinction. I want you to understand this idea of being called out from the world. I want your faith to, 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 to be strong and to maintain. He says, preach to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. Remember a couple weeks ago when we were in the last chapter? And, and this, this idea of these people, as we're writing this, they're dead. But when the gospel was preached to them, they weren't dead. Don't, don't walk down some road that has a second chance theology being given to these people. That would be contrary to everything else that we read uh, about, you know, even what the Hebrew writer says, right? That, that, it, that man is to die once and after this, the judgment. That there aren't second chances. This is our chance. This is our opportunity. That's why he's writing these things. Don't let go of those things. That's why the gospel's preached. So that we might live according to God in the Spirit. So we might say, I'm going to live a life that is the life that God wants me to live, no matter, no matter what happens in this life. See, the end of all things is at hand. It's not, it's not giving them a hint in the, you know, uh, you have 24 hours to live. That, 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 that's not what this is. But it is him saying, I want you to understand the time that you're living in. The, the, the Bible talks about it as the, the last days. We live in the last day. What, what, what can we with the, the patriarchal age where God spoke to the fathers, with the mosaical age where God spoke to the, the covenant of the law of Moses. And now, now, according to Acts chapter 2, we live in the, the last days. Because this is the Christian age. And what comes after the Christian age? The end. There's nothing left, and I, I don't know. That's going on for 2,000 years, which was roughly the time of, of, the, of the Mosaical Age. I don't know if it goes on for another 2,000, 10,000, or three minutes. I, I don't know. You don't know. But he says, understand where we are and be serious. Take these things serious. Take these things serious in, in your life and be watchful in your prayers to think about your relationship with God. When trials and tribulations and suffering and temptations, when they come upon you, what's your default? What's your default? Is my default to go, in a, to go into a corner and cry? Is my default to, to, to run to someone else and, and you know, I just wanna, I want someone else to, to hear, all, hear every problem I have? Or is my default to turn to the one person who can actually do something about it? Doesn't mean it's wrong to cry. Doesn't, doesn't mean it's wrong to lean upon your brethren. But he says, I want you to be sober in these things and watchful in your prayers. And above all, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. You know, this is a verse that we, we tend to pull out, Right? Have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Uh, I, I often think about Paul's admonition in 1 Corinthians 13 that love believeth all things. L love believes the best about someone, and sometimes that helps us as we deal with each other. 
in, in, in the body and, and in Christ. Um, in Proverbs, Proverbs 10 and verse 12, um, the proverb writer says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love, it covers all transgressions. It's not winking at sin. It's not making sin okay. It's not justifying sin. But it's saying this is how we deal with these things to maintain that unity, which are all very true things that we need desperately in the church, right? But, but as I was reading through this this week, it, it really made me think about, but what about the context? Keep this in its context. Keep this in its context. Now, unbelievers are shocked that you do not run together with them. But on the other hand, Christians are in this together. We're in this together. Maybe he's talking about the sins of others. I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about this. I'm just trying to, to think through what I think are some true statements, whatever you do, do with the text here, right? Th- this idea that Christians are in this together. And you know, when I understand that I'm a part of a body, I, I can endure so much more. I can endure so much more. And we talk about a fellowship of suffering. Um, some of you have gone through um, boot camp, right? Some of you guys, you, 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 you went through boot camp. Some of you guys, you, you went to war together. And what, what happened? It created a bond that was so powerful where no, no one was overly pleased about what they were going through, Right? No one was overly pleased about what was going, they were going through. It was difficult, but you know what? But we are in this together. You don't have to go to war for that to happen. Some of you have experienced that playing sports. Some of it, sometimes we, we experience that even, even going through trials within the body, even within the church. We're enduring this together. Maybe that's what he's saying there. Overall, don't lose your faith. Look to Christ Don't turn back to the ways that you used to walk. We've had enough of that. But you keep walking in the ways of Christ. Paul would say it like this in Romans 13. Romans 13 and verse 11. And and this do, knowing the time. That is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. For the night is almost gone and the day is at hand. So let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. But whatever it is, don't let it steal your faith. You look to Christ and you lean upon the body of Christ so that we we may live our days, whether they be easy or whether they be hard, we may live our days in pursuit of His glory and of His will. May we live for the will of God. If you're here tonight and you've never become a Christian, listen to me. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, it is the will of God that you submit to His will, that you submit to His commands, that you be washed in His blood, that you come, that you confess your belief in Jesus Christ, that you repent of your sins and that you're baptized for the remission of your sins. 
and that you arise to walk in a newness of life. That last one's a mouthful, right? But that is the will of God. That is what on earth we are here for. May we be about that, that, that mission, and may we have purpose in everything that we do. You come tonight as we stand and as we sing.